It's football season, and those who love football can't wait. Am I right? Where are you? Good. Uh, training camps are open in the NFL. Some have opened in college. If not already, they will this week. The Falcons had their first preseason game uh, Thursday night, uh, NFL Hall of Fame game, and we all understand that preseason uh, it doesn't really count and uh, doesn't really mean anything, but for a couple of hours, there were guys in jerseys, and they had helmets on, and they were running up and down a field, and there was a ball, and there were goalposts, and it sort of at least looked like there was football happening, uh, and so we're like right on the edge of football season. Of course, the goal of this part of football season, preseason, is just to get through it without getting anybody injured. And uh, the Falcons have already failed that test. But hopefully there are better things that are coming. Now, the great thing about this time of football season, whether it's college or pro, is everybody is undefeated, right? No one has lost a single game uh, this whole season. And I I posted on social media a few weeks ago that, that because of the teams that I cheer for, I, I love football season in June and July. Those are my favorite months because nobody's lost and everybody's tweeting positive comments about where their team is right now. And so uh, teams at college and pro, they're, they're saying things like, we're working really hard this offseason. I can tell we're really coming together this season. Or, I, I like this one. Something special's happening this season. Right? It just feels different this year. Every, everybody's hopeful. Everybody thinks this is the year. It's all coming together. We're going to gel. We're really going to be a great team. And then you have the hype videos to go with that now. Hype videos are relatively new to a football experience, but they're everywhere. Everybody has a hype video, even the team with the least amount of talent. They haven't won a game in three seasons. They have a hype video right now, and everybody's excited, and fans are getting pumped up, and and it's highlighting their players. And the the great moment in the hype video is when one of the famous, maybe it's the quarterback or wide receiver or well-known safety, there's that moment where it pans to them, and they're in the uniform, and they go, (laughs) right? Because this... This means we're going to win this year. If you do this enough, it, you're guaranteed to win. I love, I love that moment. Or, or, or this one. <laughs> I, like there's that pose moment. I, this, if you get, get this and this in a hype video, your team's going to win. Love it. Every fan base has sort of that crazed fan right now. And some of them have... A lot of crazed fans, and they are convinced that this is the year. They are winning it all. They're going undefeated. They're they're tweeting to each other and whispering, hey, nobody sees it. We're we're not on the radar. We're going to be the under. We're going to surprise a bunch of people this year. And there's that belief, that humongous belief that we're going to be defeated. Here's the problem. Everybody can't be undefeated. Now, it's possible to be undefeated. I don't know if you put it together, but the the video behind when the band was singing, that was the 1972 Miami Dolphins, the only NFL team to go undefeated in an NFL season. Incredible moment. So it can be done. 
It's done a lot more often in college football. But let's be honest. There's only a handful of teams that really have a chance of being undefeated this year. Uh, one of those teams lives about 30 minutes from here. They have a chance to be undefeated. Uh, another team, their home is in the state to the west of us. Their fans don't know which way is west, so that's why, that's, that's why they didn't say anything. I'm just kidding. We're all back from the summer, lighten up. Uh, unfortunately, there is a team in the state to the east of us that very likely could go undefeated again and make my life miserable. But the, those three have a chance. There's probably one or two others. I mean, we can debate over who the other two are, but those three, maybe a couple of others, that actually have a chance of being undefeated. Now, they won't all go undefeated because at some point they're going to play each other and somebody's going to lose. The reality is very few, if any, teams will get to the end of this season and have a zero in the L column. It just doesn't happen very often. For all of the hype and all of the, all of the energy right now, the season is going to start and reality is going to set in for most football teams that they are not going to go undefeated and there's nothing that the hype video can do about it. And for some teams, it's week one. Right? For half of the teams that play, week one, they realize we're not going undefeated. For some teams, it's week two or week three or week four. Or in some cases, it's week 10 or 11 or week 14. They were undefeated. Can you imagine the soul-crushing loss of being undefeated for 14 weeks and losing in week 15. How devastating. That's why I say lose early. Just, just get it out of the way. All of the teams that I cheer for, they oblige. My rule, just lose early so you can get on with your life and not take this so seriously. But some of you cheer for teams. They win 12 games and then lose. In the last seconds, on a long pass to the end zone in the SEC championship. No, we all have... <laughs> Too far. Sorry. No, we realize at some point we're not going to be undefeated. And the great thing is we keep making hype videos. Right, we, keep, we lose and we make another hype video. And we lose two games and we make another hype Video And we go 0 for 10, and we're still making hype videos. And don't get me wrong, I like hype videos. They're fun, they're energetic, and everybody's jumping around and high-fiving, go team, and running stairs, and lifting weights, and sweating. And it's I love hype videos and production teams. Thank goodness for production teams. At my alma mater, the production team is actually better than the football team. So I am glad that we make videos and we have production teams and we have hype videos. Here's the concern uh, for our lives, though. Often, there is an area of our life where we're losing. Like, it's, it's not working. And we keep hyping it up as if it's going to start working at some point. Like there's an area of our life 
Now, maybe we're making the wrong choices or we've adopted the wrong attitude or we're just living in the wrong direction. But we keep telling ourselves, this is working. Let's make another hype video. I don't want to quit doing this. Well, what we need to do is we need to face the reality of what the L column says about that area of our life. And we need to make some changes. We need to stop trying to convince ourselves that something is working that isn't working. So for the next three Sundays, I want to talk about a couple of undefeated teams, a couple of characteristics of our lives, attitudes of our lives that have never been defeated. If we live in this direction, if we live out these characteristics, we're going to win every time. And by win... I don't necessarily mean material success. I don't necessarily mean you're going to get rich or you're going to get a new job or you're going to marry the person that you want to marry. I don't necessarily mean earthly success. I mean success at being the best version of you. The version of you that God designed you to be, to fulfill all of the capability and capacity that God put in you when he created you. That's what I mean by win. And, and sometimes when we do that, those other things begin to take care of themselves. Right? Success in other areas take care of themselves when I'm living fully into the person that God created me to be. My relationships often change. My approach to every day, my approach to my job changes. My approach to a lot of other things change when I adopt these characteristics. Here's the first one. The first area of our life that could be undefeated is the area of hope. Hope is undefeated. And by hope, I don't mean wishing I don't mean hoping my team doesn't lose this year. Okay, that's wishing. Now, for some of us, that's a very false hope. It ain't going to happen. I don't mean counting on something to have magically happen in your life. I don't mean that sort of hope. I mean a deeper level of confidence, of looking forward to what's in your future that the Bible talks about. Here are a couple of definitions for hope in the way that the Bible uses the word. Hope is the happy anticipation of good. The happy anticipation of good. I have a confidence. I, I have an excitement because I know that God is at work bringing about good. In and through circumstances that are in my life that may not be good, but I have an expectation of my God who is good that He is working good. Here's another definition. Hope is favorable and confident expectation. Favorable and confident. I believe my God is at work. I believe my God is going to bring good into my life, regardless of what I see in front of me. I believe He is at work. Now, we live in a world where we're bombarded not with hope, we're bombarded with hopelessness. If you watch the news, if you listen to the radio, if you're on social media, there's this constant messaging of negativity and criticism and how terrible everything is and how terrible everyone is. Especially everyone who doesn't agree with me about everything, they're really terrible. There's this constant messaging 
of hopelessness. And we have been called in Christ to be people of hope. Now, some of you are realists, and I already know what you're thinking. You don't have to say it out loud. It's in the back of your mind. If you're a realist, you're thinking, yeah, but that's not how the world is. The world is pretty awful in some aspects. There are some really bad things in the world, and you are exactly right. Hope does not deny any of that. Hope doesn't paint this unrealistic picture of the way the world is. Hope doesn't hide from the tragic or the heartbreaking or the difficult. It's not all unicorns and fairies. If you're a hopeful person, that's not what the Bible's talking about. It's talking about a deeper level of expectant confidence about what God is able to do. You, you could say it this way. Hope is not ignoring reality. Hope is the attitude we choose when we face reality. It's not ignoring reality. It's not turning my back on what actually is. It's choosing to see what actually is through the lens of hope, through the lens of a good God who does good things. Now, here's what I know. Whether you believe that or not, joining the voices of hopelessness that we hear right now will do nothing to change the world. It will do nothing to change your circumstances or these circumstances. Joining the voices of hopelessness will do nothing to change the conversation or shine light on the conversation. The only thing that will change the hopelessness that so many people live in is some voice of hope in their life, some person of hope in their life. Adding your voice to the chorus of despair doesn't change the despair. It may make us feel better. If I add my voice to the despair, if I talk about what I'm angry about, if I talk about what I don't like, it may temporarily make me feel better. It does not change the conversation that's happening around us. Only hope can do that. I want to read from the book of Psalms. It's in the middle of your Bible, really big book, largest book in the Bible. So if you open to the middle in your Bible, it'll, it'll fall right open to Psalms. Psalm chapter 71 it's in the YouVersion app. It's on the screen. But if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to go there with me. Psalm chapter 71, we don't have time to read the whole chapter. So I'm just going to jump in and out of Psalm 71, beginning in verse 4. Psalm 71, verse 4. Deliver me, my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of those who are evil and cruel. So there you go. Realist in the crowd. This guy's realistic. He sees the world for what it is. He doesn't deny evil. He doesn't deny cruelty. He's not trying to put on rose-colored glasses. He admits, this is my life right now. This is the world right now. It's not all a pretty picture, but then the next verse he says, For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord. In the midst of all of this, there's still hope. For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From birth, I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. This is what's in front of me. This is what's in the news. This is what's happening. This is the state of our country. This is the state of our world. But I know that I can place my hope in you because I've done that before. I've trusted you before, God. I believed you 
before. And, and not a cautious belief, an expectant belief that you are at work and you bring good even out of the worst of circumstances. Notice he reaches way back to his birth when he talks about it. Way back, way back to his youth. He's no longer in his youth, but he reaches back to his youth, pointing to a time when he was hopeful and when he saw God move, saw, saw God act on his behalf. Here's one thing that's true about hope. It's true about a lot of things in the spiritual life. It's that hope in the present begins with remembering the past. My ability to be hopeful in what I'm in right now is strengthened when I was hopeful in the past and I saw what God did in that situation. We, we have a tendency sometimes to think that the current situation is always unique over all of the others. When what we need to realize is God is the same in the current situation as He was in all of the others. The situation I'm in now may be new, but the God that's in the situation with me is the same God that I've been trusting all along. Trusting all the way back to my youth. All the way back to when I first put hope in Him. And some of us struggle because we haven't been practicing placing our hope in God. We haven't been practicing a hopeful outlook and attitude toward our circumstances. Think about it this way. Hope is like a muscle that needs exercise so it'll be strong in the future. You've got to exercise hope so that you build up your hope muscle so that when you need it, it's, it's ready. It's strong enough. If you want strong biceps, you don't just get them today. You get them because in the past, you worked on it. Now you strengthened that area. You, you had time for that area. I hope in a lot of the... The spiritual life is the, is the same way. We have the hope that we need in the present often because we've practiced hope in the past. We remember trusting. We remember believing. We remember leaning on God at a difficult time in the past and found Him trustworthy so that I can continue to hope in Him now. Now, some of us perhaps have trouble being hopeful today because that's not been our practice in the past. Our default, our, our practice in the past has been to be critical or negative or cynical or sarcastic. Our practice in the past has been not belief, not trust, not hope, but despair. And now that we need hope, we don't have the muscle of hope to draw on. What we find in those circumstances is that despair, cynicism, criticism, negativity is a really shallow well to draw from when life gets difficult. Like if that's what I've been storing up, cynicism and criticism and negativity and anger and fear and anxiety, if that's what I've been building in my past, there's not a deep well of that to draw from. You, you, don't, you don't meet people who say, I went through this difficult time, but I just remained anxious the whole time. And man, it really all worked out. It was great. Like I'm a fearful person. I, I, I pretty much fear everything. And so I've been practicing fear a long time. And so when life got really big, I just kept fearing. And man, everything worked out great. And nobody leans on fear. 
we get overcome with fear. Nobody leans on anxiety in the difficult moments. It's when we've built up a history with God of trusting in Him, of hoping in Him in spite of our circumstances that we're able to say, I didn't know how it was going to turn out. It wasn't a great situation. There was a little bit of fear, but I kept turning towards the hope because I had trusted God before and I believed in Him. We can't do anything about the past though, right? Um, If you don't have strong muscles physically, right now because you haven't been exercising in the past, what you can do is start exercising now so that you have strong muscles in the future, if you need strong muscles. Same thing with hope. The hope that we're going to need in the future needs to be built today. The hope that we're going to need when life gets really hard, and life is really hard for some of you right now, but the hope that we're going to need as we face those big moments Now's the time to start building that. Now's the time to start approaching every day the little things of life with hope so that you develop a well, a reservoir of trusting in God in every situation. Now, interesting thing in verse 8. He describes how real the situation is. He says that he hopes in God, and then this follows. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. Do not cast me away when I am old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone. Okay, so again, setting the situation. He remembers his birth. He remembers his youth. He's not in his youth anymore. He's not in that circumstance anymore. Instead, he's older now. He's beginning to see the end of his life is coming. The dark clouds are forming. I'm not there anymore. I'm in a new stage of my life. And in verse 10, he says, For my enemies speak against me. Those who wait to kill me conspire together. Now, some of us are dealing with really big things right now. But I think if we're honest, we can say, nobody's trying to kill me. Nobody's trying to kill anybody, are they? Like, that's not anybody's story. If it is, we have law enforcement who go to our church. We can connect you and work things out, maybe uh, get you someplace safe. But I think all of us could say, okay, it's not that bad. The realist psalmist says, people want to kill me. Verse 14, as for me, I'll always have hope. People want to kill me. As for me, I'll always have hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous deeds, of your saving acts all day long. Though I know not how to relate them all, I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteous deeds, yours alone. So here's kind of the three parts to his argument. Life's bad. Circumstances are bad. There's a lot of evil. People are pursuing me. Life is bad. I hope in God, and my mouth, my words are going to confirm my hope. I'm going to speak words of hope, even though my circumstances are difficult. I'm going to speak words of praise. I'm going to speak words of gratitude. I'm going to speak words of God's goodness. Physically, I'm going to say these things. It's going to come out of my mouth. It's an interesting connection he draws 
between hope in our hearts and goodness that comes out of our mouth. As if those go together. As if some of what feeds the hope in my heart is what I'm saying out of my mouth. Some of what strengthens my ability to be hopeful in the worst of circumstances is what I find myself saying about my circumstances. You see, what comes out of our mouth is either encouraging or discouraging the hope in our heart. What comes out of our mouth, what we say, what we verbalize, what we talk about, the way we talk about our circumstances is either encouraging, it's either building up more hope in my heart or it's taking hope out, it's discouraging, it's weighing down the level of hope in my heart. And for some of us, we struggle to have ongoing hope because of what we keep saying. We keep talking ourselves out of hope because our mouth, our words or focused on our circumstances, our difficulties, our troubles, or how terrible everything is. And the psalmist said, when life got big for me, I wanted to have hope. And so I spoke words of gratitude. I spoke words about God's character. I verbalized how good my God is. And that somehow helped me maintain hope in my heart. Chapters 42 and 43 of Psalm, they end with the exact same verse, worded the exact same way. And this is the verse, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. He's talking to himself. Most of us do that. He's talking to himself, and he realizes he's struggling to have hope. And so he tells his heart how good God is. He verbalizes why he can trust in God. Put your hope in God. Come on, this is more than a pep talk. He's not just giving himself a pep talk. He's redirecting his thoughts and his emotions to the one that can be trusted. And for some of us, we struggle to have hope because we keep talking ourselves out of it. We keep rehearsing all the things that are going wrong. We keep talking about all the ways this could end up in a bad situation. The psalmist said, life's rough. I'm going to keep talking about how great my God is. Now, what do we put our hope in? How do we quantify that? How do we talk about the object of our hope? Because hope can't just be random wishes. Hope isn't. I hope this thing happens in my life. The hope that the Bible talks about isn't, I hope I get this job or I hope I marry this person. It's not wishing for a set of circumstances. It is hoping in something that can be counted on regardless of the circumstances. And I want you to think about it in three ways. First, our hope is in a person, and using the word person to mean a personal God. Our hope is in a personal God and His Son, Jesus. You read through the Psalms, and over and over again, the language that is used is, my hope is in God. My hope is in God. My hope, not, my hope is this works out. 
My hope is this happened. Now, those things may happen, and God may work that way, but the foundation of our hope is not in specific circumstances happening, but that God is at work in specific circumstances. And that we can expect that in those circumstances, our personal God, who came to earth in the person of Jesus, lived and died and rose again for us, He can be trusted, and therefore I can be hopeful for what He's doing in my life and in my circumstances. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. My hope rests not in ideas, not in wishes. My hope rests in the fact that there is one that is dependable who is powerful and loving and good and kind and who sees me. One of the names for God in the Old Testament is the God who sees, the God who knows, the God who is aware. My confidence is not in a specific outcome. My confidence is in the goodness of my God. Secondly, our hope, the Bible says, the Bible talks about hope as our hope is in a place. Our hope is in a future kingdom that is to come. Paul again writing to Titus. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. Our hope is in a personal God who sees us and knows our circumstances. Our hope is in a place that exists beyond this place. That this place is not the last place. It's not the ending place. It's not the end of the story. But that there is a place where wrongs will be righted. There is a place where there will be no more tears and no more pain and no more suffering and no more separation. God will reign with His people. And the struggles of this life will be over This life doesn't define everything about us because we are made for the next life, an eternal life of glory and goodness where the sovereign God reigns and is beautiful and powerful. We have hope in that place. Abraham is described like this in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, he, Abraham, made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He had a vision beyond this world and all of his hurts and all of his pain and all of his struggle. He had a vision beyond this world to another world that God was going to give us. And that's hard because we can't see that place. Sometimes maybe that place feels distant. But the promise of God's word, the hope in God's word is that that place is coming. We're going to be in that place at some point. Our hope is in a person, a personal God. Our hope is in a place where all things are going to be made right regardless of what I'm going through right now. But thirdly, our hope is in the reality that the person And the place have invaded the present. Our hope is in the reality that this personal God and this kingdom that He has 
has come to this place, has come to your life, has come to my life, has invaded your current circumstances. Jesus comes to earth to be human, to walk with us. And then when he leaves, he sends his spirit to be with us all of the time. This personal God has invaded the present moment. It's not just 2,000 years ago Jesus died and rose again and went back to heaven. It's that God has come to whatever you're going through. In the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus prayed, He prayed that the kingdom of heaven would come more fully to this earth. That the rule and reign and goodness of God would take over more and more in this world. The person and the place has invaded your present, whatever you're going through. The personal God through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The reign of God in the kingdom of heaven is present right now. And we're all going through different circumstances and different obstacles and different challenges. And for every one of us, the personal God and the kingdom of heaven can invade even that circumstance so that you and I live with the expectation of good. The expectation that regardless of what's in front of me, God is still working good. What if we got up every day and lived in the hope that that day we would see some of the goodness of God? We lived every day with the hope That all of my circumstances may not be changed. I may not get all of the answers that I need, but God created this day, created me in His image. And I have hope that if I'm looking for it, I will see the goodness of God every single day. But then I think our interaction with hope goes even beyond that. It goes even beyond just us having hope. Us, in a sense, being receivers of hope of hope, us practicing hope, we're to be dispensers of hope, not just receivers of hope. See, this message of hope is not just so that I'll have a better attitude or so that I'll trust God more, even though that's important. This message of hope is so that you and I would live full of hope in a hopeless world. That when people encounter us, when they hear our voice, when they hear what comes out of our mouth, They would be filled with hope when all of the other voices around them are not. When all of the other news in front of them is not full of hope that you and I, because we trust God, that we would be messengers of hope to this world. I'll say it again. Hopelessness has not changed anything in our world. It is only added to the despair and anger and arguing. What changes the world where we live is hope. An anticipation that our God is up to good. I I think it's undefeated. I think a life of hope is undefeated. And it's the kind of person I want to be around. Isn't that the kind of person you want to be around? Do you want to be around the person that's constantly speaking of despair and hopelessness? Or do you want as much as you can to be around that person who speaks words of life and hope 
and trust and confidence and goodness, then may we be those people. May we be the expression of hope that this world desperately needs. I want to leave you with uh, Paul's benediction. He calls God the God of hope, but he says beyond that, this God of hope will turn you into people of hope if you let him. Here are Paul's words. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit so that you, because you serve the God of hope, that your life would overflow with hope. See, this is what we have in the world. We have a lot of conversation of anger and despair and cynicism. And we have a lot of hype videos that are saying, this is working. This is winning. Be angry at everything and everybody. It's not winning. And it's not working. It's not working on a cultural landscape. It's not working in your personal life. What works is when you trust in, you have hope in the personal God that we serve, the place that He's created for us to one day be, and you have hope that the person and the place are crashing into your circumstances right now to bring glory and goodness to God and to you. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would keep us from the defeated approach to life that is darkness and despair and worry and anxiety. And that you, the God of hope, would cause us, your people, to overflow with hope. Overflow with hope. You've put us in this world, and one of the reasons is that we would be overflowing with hope everywhere we go. Not unrealistic. We see reality for what it is. But we also know that the personal God we serve and the kingdom that He's created can crash into the present circumstances we're living in. And He can work good and He can work joy and kindness and graciousness and power. Help us not to give in to the despair of our time, but to live in the hope that comes through Jesus. I pray it in His name. Amen.